want to say uh, good morning and greet those who are watching online as well today. It's always good uh, to have you with us and to participate in our services in this way. Um, let me ask you a question. How many words would it take to best describe you? If you were to think of the number of words that would be required to kind of capture who you are, to capture your life, your story, how many words would it take? Three? Six? Forty? How many would it take? If you won't, don't want to be reduced to one or two things, because each of us have had a story, we've had a history, we've had different chapters and different seasons in our life, and maybe there would be a word to describe each one, because your life is complex, just like mine is nuanced. How many words would it take to best describe your life? I think about this because sometimes, you know, I will meet people who don't know what I do. We'll be out in, somewhere in the city visiting. We run into people. We get talking. And I will avoid at all costs telling them what it is that I do for a living. Because I know as soon as I say, oh, I'm a pastor of a local church, instantly, they're now rewinding in their mind, how many times have I sworn? What did I say that might have been offensive? And I just know they're instantly kind of distracted and paralyzed in the thing. They're rewinding the tape in their mind. And so when we get talking, I will talk about where I was born and where we live and married and we have kids and that this is our situation. And, um, you know, this is my body fat index. This is my weight. You know, this is my toe clipping regimen. I mean, this is, I will tell them everything possible that they would like to know, except for what I do. Because as soon as I tell them, and I'm not ashamed of it, but I know as soon as I tell them what I do instantly, they have a sense or an assumption about what it is this guy is like. Now, we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 10 today, where Luke, the masterful storyteller, captures for us an introduction to a man by the name of Cornelius. And in verse 1, he just introduces him, and he uses three descriptors. So let me just read for you verse 1, Acts chapter 10. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. So here, Luke, he's going to tell us a story today about Cornelius, and he starts by introducing these three things. First, his name, Cornelius. Now, for Luke's Jewish audience, as soon as they hear Cornelius, they think, this guy is not like us. He's a Gentile. Luke's audience, his Jewish audience, did not grow up playing with kids named He's an outsider. He's from away. Next thing it says is that he's a centurion. Now, you don't become a centurion. This is a military leader. You don't become a centurion because your dad has money or influence. You become a centurion because you're a killer. And you've killed people and you've worked your way up through battle in such a way that you're brutal and you have the respect of other military people to the extent that when you speak, they will do the thing that you just asked them and it says that he's from the Italian regiment. It mentions here that they're in Caesarea. Um, Cornelius is an occupier. He has come to this land, Israel, on behalf of the Roman government. Their outpost, their administrative outpost, was in the area of Caesarea, and he is there as an occupier. Now, if you're Luke's Jewish audience, in this first verse, and you know this guy, you know exactly. 
Gentile, military commander, occupier, and the empty throne. Immediately their minds are gone. These three descriptions have summed up for them. It's all that they need to know for what this man is like. But Luke is the masterful storyteller. And he's going to dislocate their minds and their hearts with his description in verse 2. Let me read it for you. He and all of his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. Immediately, this Jewish audience will go, no, no, that's not true. I know these people. I know what Gentile military occupiers are like. They don't give generously to the poor. They don't pray daily, and they do not fear the Lord. There's not a category in my mind for somebody with these three, with these six descriptions. They don't go together for the same person. You don't kill people and pray daily. You're not an occupier who's concerned some descriptors that you would use to describe your life that might seem like they don't go together. This is true of Cornelius. And it's been true of human beings since the very beginning of time. It was true of the early church, and it's true of us today also, I think, as the church. The temptation to reduce somebody to two or three descriptors about their life. We hear something, something, and now we reduce them to that thing. We know what they're like. I know what you're like. I saw what you put on Instagram. I saw what you liked on Facebook. I saw what you liked or didn't like about Justin Trudeau or Pierre Polyev or Israel or Palestine or some government policy. I saw it. I know what you're like. I don't need to see anything else. This is the temptation. It's the temptation of our culture, and it can be the followers of Jesus Christ. It's interesting, a few weeks ago, just in praying, um, I mentioned that there's over 30 Baptist churches in between Gaza, Israel, and the West Bank. And I had a number of people kind of send me notes to say, did I hear that right? Baptist churches in the West Bank? There's a Baptist church in Gaza? How could that be? Well, because we have so easily reduced uh, your region to a few that's unfair. In the history of Christianity in the Middle East, there's Christians in Palestine, there's Christians in Israel. I've been struck just kind of saddened by the passing of actor Matthew Perry. Um, the, you would know him from the TV show and his character, Dan Levain. Now, interesting, when he was, he was interviewed a number of years ago, and they asked him, you know, kind of about his life and his kind of the whole scope of his life. And he said this, he said, when I die, I don't want friends to be the first thing that's mentioned. I don't want friends, his character on friends, to be the first thing that's mentioned. I want the first thing to be that I try to help people get sober. You remember he had a, an addiction. 
and I'm going to live the rest of my life proving that. Reducing people's life to one thing, to one moment, to one decision, and to one season. And Luke, in these first two verses of chapter 10, with this character, with this man, Cornelius, shows us how complicated each of us are, and that to do that is unfair. To reduce a whole person to one dimension of their life goes against the very nature of the call that God has placed on us as the church to be good news to people, because the temptation in the history of the church sometimes has looked, I know what you like, and God would not look at I know what people like you who believe what you believe are like. God doesn't go there. And in this explosive story in the book of Acts where the Holy Spirit is stretching everybody, the kind of people God works, the places that he goes, nobody can figure it out. He's doing all kinds of things that it seems that God has never done before. And they're all struggling to catch up. Let's keep reading. Acts chapter 10 starting at verse 3, just to the end of verse 9. One day, Cornelius, at about 3 in the afternoon, had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him. This is this military killer. He stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and your gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who's also called Peter, staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier. Now if you're a Roman centurion and you've got a devout soldier, you don't mess with this guy. He's the guy that's going to get stuff done. And the devout soldier who was one of his attendants, he told them everything that had happened and he sent them to Joppa. He acted quickly. Simultaneously to all that, about noon the following day as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the roof to pray. Now, we're going to talk about Peter next week. And I want you to kind of remember how quickly Cornelius moved when the Lord spoke to him when we get to Peter. But that's for next week. I don't know if Cornelius understood the significance that his prayers and his generous financial gifts were like a memorial offering that came up into the Lord's presence. He's a Roman. That's a very Jewish metaphor, a memorial offering. A memorial offering, you would go as a good Jewish person, you would travel to the temple, you would take with you an animal for the sacrifice, you would purify yourself, you would go in, give it to the priest, the priest would kill it, sacrifice it, imagine barbecue meat, it's all going up, smoke and smells, and it's pleasing unto the Lord. This is the metaphor that the Lord speaks to Cornelius. That is a person who really doesn't have any specific faith, he's kind of religious, he fears God, we don't know which God. He prays daily, not exactly sure to whom, and he's generous, he's trying to make things better in the world. His level of spiritual activity has risen up and caught the Lord's attention. It might have been lost on Cornelius, it would not have been lost on Luke's Jewish hearers. Those faithful followers who showed up to the temple, devout, 
brought their sacrifices, were there for the moment, the Lord received their offering. And the Lord says, I've also received Cornelius's offering as well. And again, for these first believers, this is stretching how they think, stretching how they view God, working God does not work in the life of Gentile centurion occupiers, let alone receive their good deeds into his presence. So, we've got Cornelius. We aren't really sure what he believes. He's spiritually active. He's doing some good things. And God's at work in his life. And it's pleasing to the Lord at this point. So one might think, okay, God's going to say, good, we're done with Cornelius. Let's move on to somebody else. Not at all. God is now going to lead Cornelius to the next level of belief. You know, Cornelius, I think, is a lot like people that I know, maybe people that you know. They try to be good people. They try to do good things. They try to help out when asked. You know, they've got some level of belief. They kind of believe in God. I'm not really sure what that looks like, but I believe in maybe even pray on occasion. There's some level of spiritual activity in their life, but it's disconnected. It's disconnected from a relationship with God. This is what Cornelius is like. And this chapter, chapter 10, tells us two things. Number one, God sees where he's at, but he wants more for him. That this is not enough. Spoiler alert, um, Peter's gonna go to his house. That's a whole story in and of itself. We'll talk about that next week. Peter's gonna go to Cornelius' house and he's gonna get into what Peter gets into, big long sermons. He loves to preach. And so he's gonna get into this rip-roaring sermon and he's gonna start sharing with Cornelius and his entire household all that Jesus has done for him. And let me just pick up here, I wanna read from you, just starting from verse 39 to 46. Just, we're picking up partway through Peter's message here. Peter says, we are witnesses of everything Jesus did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him up from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses who God had already chosen, by us, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And then I love this, because Peter still had five pages of sermon notes. He was just getting warmed up. But the, when Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. Circumcised believers, the Jewish believers, the people that came with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And immediately, I just think, like on the day of Pentecost, God pours out His Spirit on Jewish people who preach to Gentiles. And now God's pouring out His Spirit on Gentiles who are preaching to Jewish believers. It's beautiful. But what Luke wants us to see here is that the spiritual activity in Cornelius' life to that point was good, but it was not enough. And that God had more for him. His fear of God, his respect, drilled into him as a military veteran. 
was not enough. His financial generosity, better than the Christians around him, was not enough. Cornelius needed to hear and to know that there is a forgiveness of sins and that God does not want to be the generic God off in the distance, but to move into his life in the power of the Holy Spirit and take up residence within him. With all that he brings, mercy, grace, gifts, peace, comfort, power, life, all of these things, the Holy Spirit says, Cornelius, what you're doing is a good start, but it's not enough. It's disconnected from a personal relationship with God. And if you would let me move into your life, you will discover something so much greater. Now I'm guessing you've got friends like Cornelius, people who are kind of spiritually active, they've got some beliefs, and they're doing some really good things. They're trying to make the world a better place. But they need to know that there's more. That God has something more for them. That he would move into their life, forgive them of their sins, and take up residence inside of them. Maybe it's you today. Maybe you've been coming to church. Um, you started praying. You've been reading your Bible. And, you know, compared to two years ago, your spiritual, your level of spiritual activity is a hundredfold. Like you're doing so much better. But here in this testimony, that the Lord would say to you today, there's more. There's more. God does not want to be that generic being off to the side that we kind of are familiar with and maybe know a few things about and I should do a good thing and help out here and there. It's greater than that. The Lord offers us the forgiveness of sins, past, present, and future. And he offers to move right into our life and take up residence. That his presence is always with us.